Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. I'm your host, Priya Rao, Executive Editor at Glossy. And today's guest is Sahir Dosa, the co-founder and CEO of Function of Beauty. Welcome, Sahir. Thanks for having me, Priya. So Zaheer, I mean, did you have the best year ever? I mean, I think 2020 was probably the most impactful for Function of Beauty. And I just have to say, like, how are you feeling right now? We're at the beginning of 2021 and you really killed it last year. Yeah. So I think it's it's getting borderline politically incorrect to ever say you had a great 2020. So I will uh, I'll not commit to, to having a great one. And, and frankly, for the business itself, I mean, it was... You know, we had some wins, but we had a lot of tough challenges to overcome as well. But overall, I think was a huge success with the ability to carry out all our ambitious plans all in in one year. So, uh, so yeah, feeling feeling good heading into twenty twenty one. So I guess let's start backwards. You know, usually I like to have people talk about the 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 journey of the brand and the impetus, but there was so much news at the end of last year's here. So I'm wondering, talk to us a little bit about the El Catterton deal because you know that was a huge inflection of capital. And I'm just wondering, like, what was that really going to be used for? What was that kind of going to catapult you to in 2021? Yeah. So I mean, the El Catterton deal happened on the. Eve or right after, right before all the other announcements as well that we had. So I think looking at it in conjunction with the launch into Target and our expansion into skincare, you know, our real goal with El Catterton was twofold. One, to get cash in order to continue growing the heck out of this thing. But two, also getting a great thought leader that really, really understood consumer well, had done it successfully with other brands in the past and could really help us, you know, get into this next frontier of, uh, of well, I guess a much bigger company. So on that note, you know, I think a lot of people were really surprised. I mean, again, I guess it was a one-two punch, right? Like the El Catacan deal, but then also Target, which I think was really surprising to a lot of people. Like, you know, I think a few years ago, people said you either had to, you had to do omni-channel, you know, in order for digital brands to really scale, you had to have a retail presence. But, you know, 2020 really bucked that trend when you think about the pandemic. So I'm just wondering, like, you know, I think you could have very easily, you know, not done that. But what was your rationale um, for kind of venturing into Target? And why was that the right place for you? Yeah, at the end of the day, our big goal is to make you know, personalization mainstream or, or the norm. And, you know, at the end of the day, there's, there's still a small percentage of customers that shop solely online. And so it does become increasingly difficult to get more and more customers and make function of beauty and, and what our model is about, not a niche. And, and so I think Target was a, a perfect partner for us the the brand values the the target customer etc just overlapped really well with with our uh, customer base but also became a really cool spot for customers who are a little antsy about customization or didn't want to take a, a full step in to have a really easy way of learning the benefits of customization and what makes function of beauty so great uh, while also being able to get a whole nother target segment of customers who frankly just prefer shopping in brick and mortar stores and getting products right when they want them rather than having to go online and then wait for products to be shipped to them. What were you thinking about when you were kind of slicing and dicing what you do online and you do it so well in terms of the quiz and, you know, being able to 
personalize really every aspect of your hair care and skincare. Um, and then bringing that to the store environment, because obviously you can't have the infinite options that you have online. Yeah, I was pretty much thinking about my mom, actually. Uh, you know, it was it was a little harder for her to be able to support her own son's company. A, you know, our online value proposition is is superior, but it also comes at a slightly higher cost. And so for her, it was on the borderline of A, am I comfortable shopping online? B, am I comfortable with this price point? You know, and C, is customization really something that's that important for me or not? Now, obviously, being her son, I, I didn't have to try very hard to, to have her try it. And once I did, she was obsessed with it. But you know, I was thinking about the many other people out there that fit that profile where we wouldn't be able to necessarily sell them on this online proposition. And, and sometimes there is a really cool gateway that we could offer them. And, you know, Target really, really leaned in heavily with helping us make sure we got all of these end caps so that it's really clear how customization works even at this scale, which at its core is still pretty cool, right? Like you still get to choose uh, shampoo and conditioner based on your hair profile and then whatever hair goals that you want. And so the the commitment of Target and, and believing in all of that and, and having us launch, I, yeah, I can't say how great of a launch it was, but it'll be in Target's history books, right? Like it went far, far, far better than their wildest expectations. So we're really happy with with the collaboration so far. I know it's still pretty early and we've only gotten uh, a week and, and change of results in, but so far looks really promising and, and uh, a great uh, proof of our thesis. One thing I thought was really interesting to hear was that, you know, obviously you've mastered the digital experience very well on your own side, but when, when you were partnering with Target, it wasn't the classic Target.com site that you could find Function of Beauty products on. It was a little bit of a co-branded experience, a little bit of your world, a little bit of where, their world. Could you describe that a little bit? Yeah, so it's actually a combination. So you can still buy, you know, our products that we sell in Target stores on Target.com, but... To, to what you're also speaking of, there's also the ability for customers to engage with functionofbeauty.com, especially those that do want this highly customized experience where it's not just choosing hair goals, or maybe it is choosing hair goals, but being able to select up to five, um, but also customers who, you know, really care about fragrance and fragrance strength or their names on their bottles or really want to tweak whether there's silicones in their products or not. So all these other aspects that we deliver through our online site, all because we have to have a crazy custom manufacturing facility to back that up. Uh, and, and so I think it's a really great hybrid and, and outlet for customers to really decide what level of customization do they want to get into, especially in a world where customization has become this buzzword and it means everything and nothing all of a sudden. And so at least we can continue to be the gold standard of here's what customized beauty looks and feels like. So talk to me a little bit about that, because I would love to hear what your definition is of customization, because, you know, every beauty marketer, every beauty founder has a different one. So what does it mean to you and to function of beauty? Yeah, so that's a great question. We have two different words that we describe what we do. So one is personalization and the other is customization. So personalization to us are all the cosmetic things we do to a product. So this is 
putting your name on the bottle, uh, customers getting to choose the color of their shampoo and conditioner formulation. So, so things that are unique to that person that don't end up changing the actual formulation or any of the crux. And, and you can see this across a bunch of different products if you want you know, your AirPods personalized, uh, you can put your name on the cover uh, or on the case. And so we see personalization in, in a few different ways. The, the other part, which is customization, I think is the really, really difficult one, right? Which is how do you actually get a functionally different product for each and every single customer? And so for us, we have 54 trillion different possibilities just in hair care alone, right? Um, which is is a huge number, far more than there are people on earth, but we need that, that level of diversity in order to get a perfect product for each and every single person. So the shampoo and conditioner formulation you get is going to be wildly different from the shampoo and conditioner formulation that I get or that any other person gets. And so I think it's the customization part that well, technically both are very difficult, right? Being able to put a custom name on a bottle the way we do without putting a sticker is is something to the best of my knowledge, we only really do it at, at that scale and at that level. On the other hand, being able to, um, to actually change and uniquely craft each and every formula is also something that's very personal to us, especially in beauty. So even with our launch of skincare, we now have more skincare formulations and possibilities than, than any other brand on the market. And so this, this advanced manufacturing that we've been able to really craft and master, especially since we were the first to, to the personalized beauty space and, and did so you know, a few years before the next entrance uh, gives us a huge leg up with being able to get really, really great formulas out the door. So here, I have to ask, you know, what would you say to naysayers, whether they think that, you know, function of beauty, is it a marketing ploy or like, is this really customized for me? Like, what would you say to whether it be a customer or a competitor that may or may think that, may or may not think that? Yeah. So I think the competitors that would think that are those that can't customize based on their current, you know, structural uh, or infrastructure. So I think there's probably some bias that goes into, into what competitors would say, at least the ones that are of any, any size. Obviously the, the personalized players uh, don't customize or personalize anywhere close to where we do. So I think it'd be hard for them to make an argument one way or the other. Uh, so I think that's the easy way of, of at least approaching that segment. Now for, for customers, especially those who haven't tried customized beauty or personalized beauty, I think that's the, the biggest segment that we constantly try to get to uh, evolve and adopt to to embracing the, the ideals that, that we do just because it's from those very customers or I guess parallel customers that we, we launched the company in the first place. And so for those customers, I, I think there's a lot that uh, that we could say. I'd probably start with just telling them to look at our reviews, right? We publish every single review, um, you know, have uh, tens of thousands of reviews on their the highest rated uh, personalized beauty product on, on the market. Um, and, and I think it's rare to find a product that has that many reviews and that is that highly ranked. So I think just listening to other customers is a great way for them to understand what the benefits are. But at the end of the day, I think they end up choosing a shampoo and conditioner for a reason. And so our 
story to them would be why not use those same reasons to choose a personalized product, one that's formulated exactly the way you want it based on your hair type, based on your hair goals. Just the universe is way too big for the possibilities of that, for you to be able to find something that even meets, you know, 80% of what you want off the shelf. What have your learnings been with skincare? Because obviously we're in this moment where hair is on fire in beauty and skincare is, you know, you know, the brands that are doing it well are, you know, seeing great growth. But I'm wondering how parallel or different have you seen them to be, these two categories? Yeah, so in one world, they, they fall under beauty. Uh, and and we called ourselves function of beauty for a reason. So we always wanted to make sure that we personalize beauty, not just one small segment of it. So it's been something that's been in the works for a very long time. That being said, it, it is a slightly different category, right? It has different visual cues and hence why our actual product offering looks and even feels different from the hair care offering. It has some similarities though. We still put your name on the bottle. We still let you customize, you know, your skin profile, your skin goals, fragrance, et cetera. So we still get to play with a lot of the same things that have made our hair care so successful. But we also focus a lot more on making sure certain ingredients are in at certain levels just based on all the dermatological dermatologists dermatological studies, maybe that's a word, um, that are out there. What would you say, you know, has been difficult this last year or in general with this company, Zaheer? Because I'm always fascinated, you know, you've only been around for about four years. You're in international markets, you're in multiple categories, you have raised, you know, this huge amount of funding most recently. And then at the, at the very beginning of all of this, you know, you're really willing to play, you know, with the marketing side of things too, whether it's, you know, digital ads, TV ads, linear, nonlinear. It's just like, you seem to be doing so much in such a short amount of time. So I'm wondering like, what's difficult about all of that? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, and I think if you ask different people at Function, they'll all give you different answers, right? So uh, my co-founder, Josh, would talk about how difficult it is to be able to continue automating customization at, at this scale. This is, we're, we're the largest online hair care company. Um, I mean, it's it's big, right? The, the, the number of orders that go through our facility every single day is staggering, especially when you imagine that it's all personalized. So I think, he would he would discuss that our brand team would talk about how to how we've really focused our brand on on customization and the challenge of doing that rather than just focusing on hair because we knew we wanted to do more than just just hair care and so finding that that right balance uh, you know our customer service would be like no other hair care company needs to deal with this many customers and and they have to be positive about it that they get to engage with so many of our customers and so honestly i think every single person in the company has their own sets of challenges i think for us i don't know if there's a, a single great challenge other than you know how do we just keep working towards this this mission and vision that we have and and we've been really fortunate and, and successful so far. And, and so we hope the growth continues. We're actually about to hit our sixth year anniversary this January. So it feels a little longer for me than, than it does for, for others. But for us, it's always just getting the very best people in the world solving the biggest problems that we see. And that's 
that that's a challenge, but it also ends up becoming a great opportunity because we know we have the biggest team solving the biggest problem in beauty. How would you describe the vertically integrated part of your business? Because I think that seems to be so much of, you know, your magic is that you are, you own all of this. You opened a new facility, I think this year, or well, in 2020, July, 2020, if I'm correct, um, which is shocking to do in the middle of a pandemic. So why was that so important to do as a vertically integrated company, even with all of this disruption? Yeah. So being vertically integrated is incredibly complex, but also incredibly necessary. The only way we can actually get the sheer number of formulations and combinations and the specificity of each of these formulas to our customer needs is by doing everything in-house. So sure, we import raw materials. Um, so we don't manufacture any of our raw materials, but after that, I mean, we make everything in-house, right? We do the algorithm, the blends, the putting everything into bottles. And, you know, each of these bottles has dozens of, of ingredients that come into it, right? And so it's, it's, it's a staggering and complicated feat that hits at every single level of, of the value chain and, and something that a lot of companies get to take for granted, we, we can't. We, we do have to actually do each of those things. And, and I think at the very beginning, though, we, we focused on being able to automate automate everything we did because that's the only way you can make personalization scale. And I think that's, the, that's been the biggest test of personalization is can it actually scale? we aren't the first to do customized something in beauty. There were people making their own products way back in the day. Uh, you know, prescriptives did custom foundation with people hand mixing things. Uh, but we were the first to automate. And I think that's the big, the big difference maker of why we're still around and continue to grow the way we do is the ability to automate everything from day one, ensure that we would be able to scale this, this mission and vision, which is very much a, a critical part of it. You mentioned something funny with prescriptives because I that was a beloved brand of my mom's. You know, obviously being brown skin, finding a foundation was difficult back in the 90s. And Sylvie was on this podcast um, not too long ago during the pandemic. And she mentioned to me, Sylvie Shantakai, that, you know, this is the brand kind of like that brand would make perfect sense in today's market. And so I'm wondering, you know, beyond skincare, beyond um, body care and hair, like is makeup a possibility? Is it, it, do you think it's even more cumbersome than what you're already doing? I think everything's a possibility. I think when it comes to makeup, there are things that make it really easy and really difficult, right? So the really easy part is all you're fundamentally changing for the most part is the pigment, right? The actual color. Now, we would obviously take a more hardcore approach at it, as you can imagine. Um, and, and so it's definitely a possibility. At the end of the day, we're also going to focus on what our customers want. And, and I do think skincare is a great, a great foray into it. I think the thing that makes makeup more complicated and difficult is the consistency part of it, right? So now suddenly you're working less into fluids and more into solids. And I think that adds an increasing amount of complexity from that standpoint. So I think there are things that make it really easy, things that make it more difficult. And at the end of the day, 
I think anything is is game for for something function could do. It's just a matter of deciding what we should do. And that's a lot of conversations we constantly have with our customers. So Zaheer, I'm wondering like, what is on your radar for 2021? Because considering all that we've already talked about, and we just have a few more minutes, but I have so many more questions. You know, the rumors out there is that you're hundred million in sales, that you have a billion dollar valuation. And you know, when I read that El Catterton, um, press release, I almost felt at the end of it that you guys were IPOing at the end of it. So I have to ask, you know, is that on the radar? Because, you know, so many of these strategics are looking for, you know, indie brands, but you also have this incredible database that they desperately need. Yeah. Again, I think anything is possible. I mean, the ideal case is global domination, but I think that's going to be a little tough in, in a year from now. And expanding from beauty to politics might be tough. So we, we do have some glass ceiling, so to speak. But honestly, at the end of the day, our, our real goal is to make personalization the norm. And we're going to do anything and everything that makes that possible. And so if IPO is the right path, then so be it. If it's a merger with a with a big traditional strategic, so to speak, then, then that could also be a possibility. Or it could even be a world where we, we stayed private. And so we're constantly assessing each and every single one of those options to figure out just what makes most sense and is most true for, for our brand. But uh, but yeah, if, if I had uh, had an answer I could share, I, I would. <laughs> That's fair. Zaheer, how big is your team? And I'm wondering, you know, are these people who are working for you, you know, beauty through and through, lifers, beauty junkies, or are they kind of various from various different industries that kind of are allowing you to have this like maybe wider purview in the beauty landscape? It's definitely the latter. I mean, even when you look at the founding team of me, Josh, and Hean, Hean came from beauty, right? Formulation, chemistry. She actually knows what's going into bottles, etc. Both Josh and I came from very different paths. Now, while I had gotten some experience with personal care, I don't know if I was a beauty lifer, so to speak. Now, maybe a little different now that I've been doing this for a while. But at least at the time, I, I came from a very unique and different perspective. And and Josh was a you know, officer on nuclear submarines before helping head up ops at, at Amazon. So very different background. Uh, and obviously both of us came from MIT before then. So I think we've always focused on getting the very best people to solve these problems. And oftentimes that ends up coming from outside the beauty industry. So I definitely think we have an incredibly diverse team. So some people who would be necessary to come from beauty. So our formulation chemists, most of them come from the beauty industry. Uh, but others, when it comes to uh, whether it's our web developers or our growth team or whatnot, I do think we actually have a really healthy mix. And then obviously we have a, a bunch of people on, on production and customer service as well that, that come from very different walks of life. Uh, we have, in terms of numbers, I mean, we have over 400 employees. So we're, uh, you know, pretty big, but you know, rapidly hiring as well. So, so still trying to get bigger. What would you say about your customers and especially how they've changed over this last year? Because I think you mentioned, you know, you were talking about your mom earlier and about her shopping in store and why she would consider personalization. But we've also seen like throughout the pandemic, so many boomers, my parents included, shopping online. So, I mean, I'm wondering how this has kind of all shifted 
who you thought the function of beauty customer was and who he or she is today? Yeah, I think at the end of the day, COVID in, in many ways ended up accelerating the push for people to, to start shopping online. Now, beauty in general, and especially hair care, has a really low penetration rate for, for online. The major, vast majority of, of hair care sales happen offline. And so I do think due to COVID, it ended up getting more and more people to, to start shopping online. It's an inevitable trend. I mean, it's the fastest growing segment, as you can imagine. And so I think all it did was was accelerated things a lot further and enabled us to have a closer engagement with customers. So I think we were able to rapidly speak to a lot more customers who are now suddenly interested in, in purchasing hair care online. But at the same time, you know, we had huge shipping delays. We have a lot of customers internationally. And so we were also negatively affected in, in those ways by just being able to have a, a much longer lead time and therefore a harder time getting our products to our international customers as well. And so, you know, we weren't unscathed that way. We also went through a lot of overhaul and gave our customers a lot more space, moved into this new facility much sooner than we wanted to sorry, not our customers, our employees, much more social distancing. So we moved into this new production facility much sooner than we expected to, just in order to, to make sure COVID-19 wasn't a, an issue in our plants. But, you know, we have a huge number of, of physical workforce. Uh, and it's, it was awesome to see that, to see our employees really committed to, to showing up to work, you know, trusting us on their safety and uh, helping us deliver the, the results we did last year. How has international been faring? Because, I mean, it was a wide, you know, attempt. I believe it was last year. And you were talking a little bit about it right now. I just love to hear how it's resonated in various places versus here in the U.S. Yeah, I mean, we ended up launching internationally very opportunistically, right? Like just had the ability to get it out to customers in those areas and a bunch of different customers asking for it. And so we turned it on and it ended up doing much, much better than than we had expected. Now, obviously during COVID with some lead times were over a month to certain areas. And so obviously that ended up affecting things and, and just having a really negative customer experience that way. And so we, we spent a lot of time level setting, being a lot more conservative, even turning off marketing to a lot of international countries just so that we didn't have customers starting off with a negative experience of what customized beauty was like. And so, you know, I think there's... Uh, a lot of opportunity. Obviously, you know, we have 300 and something million people in the U.S. There's a lot more people abroad. And, and we do think that customization is, is something that everyone should ideally have access to and the ability to, to afford. And so it's, it's definitely one of the, the goals we have is to keep pushing and, and pressing our international presence. Last question for you, Zaheer. I only have a few more minutes uh, with you, but this is kind of a big one. So, you know, I feel like a couple of years ago, there was this kind of reckoning that beauty companies weren't tech companies and this data kind of amalgation wasn't real or what kind of data people really had. And I'm just wondering what your, th your take on that is. Do you think of function of beauty? I mean, you seem to have so many capabilities on the data side, obviously on the beauty side, 
But would you identify yourself as a tech company? Would you say they're equally as important to each other in, in growing your business? Yeah, I think there's this new area of consumer tech companies. So tech companies that are really focused on delivering consumer products and goods. And so I definitely think we're we're in that space where, you know, I, I think the downside of saying you're just a tech company makes it feel like you're almost all solutions oriented and uh, almost almost a service and and you almost lose a lot of the the beauty of of the brand and and that emotional experience that would distinguish us from being uh, or would establish ourselves as as a beauty company or a consumer first company and so I think it is really hard to to come up with here's exactly what what function of beauty is when it comes to you know industries as a whole I I think we do high-end automated manufacturing better than anyone for for being able to do products like we do. Um, uh, I think we also have a stronger brand than anyone in beauty as well, though. So I think it's 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 tough to really say which of the two we are. We just want to, I guess, uh, be everything, but at the same time, not be uh, uh, bucketed into a, into a certain category. So back to world domination, right? There you go. It's easy. <laughs> Thank you so much to hear. It was great seeing you and having you on. And we're so excited to see what 2021 brings for you and Function of Beauty. Thanks you so much, Bri. I really appreciate it. Thanks for tuning into the Glossy Beauty Podcast. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. Please don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you're listening. See you next week.